take some time now to turn in your Bibles or read from the screen Psalm 42. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Then shall I come and appear before God. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. With great shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night, His song is within me. A prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The word of the Lord. may be seated. If I haven't met you, my name is Vincent Hoppy. I'm the pastor of Grace and Peace. Um, people have been asking me, like, how am I doing? And honestly, I, I'm just limping along. And it hurts. And you hurt too. And so I guess we can hurt together. We can be sad. Cormac McCarthy is arguably one of the greatest American novelists, and in 2005, his screenplay, No Country for Old Men, details the story of Ed Tom as he investigates a drug deal gone bad. Ed Tom, throughout the story, is shocked by the darkness and all the violence in the world. He spent most of his life trying to make up for abandoning his unit in World War II, leaving them to die. So, what he wanted to do was then to make up for it, to cover it up, to heal that hurt by, by finding a way to kind of fix things in the world through his work as a sheriff. The story ends with a monologue of Ed recounting a haunting dream about his father the night before his retirement day. He says, it was in olden times. I was on horseback. We were going through this mountain pass. It was cold. There was snow on the ground. He passed me. Kept going. Never said a word going by. Just rode on past. He had his blanket wrapped around him and his head down. As he rode past, he was carrying fire and a horn like old people used to do. And I could see the horn by the light of the fire. It was a color of the moon. In the dream, I knew he was going on ahead, fixing to make a fire somewhere in the dark and in all that cold. And I knew 
that whenever I got there, he'd be there. Then I woke up. In a similar way, in his 2006 novel, The Road, it ends in a similar fashion. It's set in a cold, desolate, post-apocalyptic world. The Road tells the story of a father and son journeying to the southern coast looking for the good guys. But throughout their journey, they are always seeing the mounting despair and darkness of a world gone wrong. It is burning up. And it's been destroyed. But the story twists in the end and the father dies. The son is left alone with his body for three days. Then the son runs into a family of good guys. What is shocking and what is stunning about both these stories is if you know anything about Cormac McCarthy and had read any of his previous stories, especially the uh, Border Trilogy, you know it always ends in deterministic, nihilistic despair. But then suddenly, there is this transition to hope in these two stories. Oprah Winfrey asks her, of course she does, you know, asks, why? Why do you change it all of a sudden? Why are you doing something different? And his answer was this, is like, my son was born recently. And he's like in his 60s, and he has a son born. And he says, I couldn't live anymore in a world that is devoid of hope. He couldn't write stories anymore like that. That is, what, what was going on in his heart is that he could no longer be an atheist. He moved to being an agnostic because he couldn't live like that. Without God, can we actually make meaning out of an accidental existence? Can we call something grievous in this world without God? Should we even mourn then for, for what is just the natural end of all humanity? Can we call anyone's existence a life and a life a gift to us without God? And their death, can we, can we say that it is something that shouldn't be if there is no God? And so what does the psalmist tell us about hope in this dark and painful world? He teaches us that our hope is not just a wish, but it's a substantial, personal healing balm to the pains that we all carry in our person. It is the healing to the knife wound of our hearts. So when the pains, the trauma, and the violence of this world wound us, and they will, the psalmist encourages us to apply the healing balm of hope. The same hope that Sally held on to. This world around us, the pains of the fall from Genesis 3 continue to work and wreak havoc on this world and the persons we know and, it, and, and, and on our person now. And so let's talk about what the, the wounds of life and the healing hope. So the wounds of life and the healing hope. So not only is this world not how it's meant to be, but every person, every one of us are corrupted in some way. This world does violence to us. You know, it, and we're even talking down to words. You know what the greatest, one of the greatest lies in human recorded history is? It's this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Yeah, right. Sometimes words are a knife to the heart. It could be a fatal wound to some of us. It could injure our souls. And the psalmist is not unfamiliar, nor is he making light of the pain in the world. Rather, he instructs us that these wounds of life, 
The sorrows are inevitable. And they're not to be taken lightly. They're inevitable and they're not to be taken lightly. First off, these songs are just that, right? Songs are songs. And they're meant to be sung. And they're compiled to instruct about, and, and to help the people work out their emotions and to live in the world the way that they were meant to live. And so they're sung. So why would you ever talk about a depressed soul and in the times of an injured soul at this moment? Why would you ever sing and say, I don't know if God is with me? Why would you ever say that? Because it happens. The psalmist is not ignorant to that. He knows it happens. And so that's why it's written here for us, so that we may appropriate it and apply it to our souls. And songs to get into our, into our beings, don't they? We need songs like this. You know, songs stick into your head. The lyrics get in there. The rhythm is always there. You know, and for me, it's like Get Your Freak On by Missy Misdemeanor Elliot or the Wu-Tang Clan's Protect Your Neck. It's stuck in my person. So these songs are about combating a lot of our depression, our deep sorrows and hurts, not by ignoring them, but the songs in the Bible are helping us address them and call them out for what they are. It's inevitable in this world that you and I are going to be hurt. We are wounded by this world. Hurtful words exist. Love is unreciprocated. Children are traumatized by their parents. Our gifts are unacknowledged. Our pain remains unrelieved and friends deceive us. So we're left thirsting for God like the psalmist. We are thirsting for the living God to come and give us relief to meet us in our pain, to give us light in the darkness, to give us warmth in the cold, to wipe away our tears. This song, it teaches that we are all to yearn, and we're all yearning for the relief that only the living God can give. And the feeling is as common as the person sitting next to you. Verse 4 demonstrates that even the most religious and godly person struggles in this world. He's probably a priest. He would lead the throng in the songs of singing. He was a worship leader. He was a person who would have stood behind a pulpit like me, and he felt the sorrows and pains of this world in his being. He's the poster child of Christianity. But yet, he's depressed. Even the poster child of Christianity to be depressed. It shows the people, even in reading their Bible, it is praying triune prayers, in worship playing, and enthusiastic evangelizers, they too can feel downcast in their soul, and they don't have to hide it. They can authentically show it. Be real about it. It doesn't mean that you're inoculated to the pain and darkness and sorrow. It happens. We get injured. They're not to be overlooked. It's okay to cry. If you've cried a million tears this week, I get it. It's a reminder that this world is broken. Hiding pain is not the solution. Sometimes tears are the strongest thing you can do. And the strongest thing you do is just let them flow. You don't need to self-protect. When we become detached from our tears, 
In our feelings of sorrow, it is the beginning of letting hope slip. Hope enables us not to build walls that are a defense, but rather it allows us to leave them down, knowing that the avoidance of pain and sorrow will only leave us unapproachable, impenetrable, uncaring. Our tears remind us that we're human, and it reminds us that this world is not the way it was meant to be. We are not meant to say goodbye to loved ones. Mothers are not meant to bury children. So we let our tears flow. C.S. Lewis says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your own selfishness. Put it in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless. It will change. Oh, yeah. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Tears are human. Tears are human. And we know that. But yet we live in a world where we're told from the beginning, why are you being so emotional? Why are you crying? What is wrong with you? As if it's some sort of weakness. It is in that weakness that Christ's strength is made sure and perfect for you. My daughter puts grief really well. She said this week, I have a hole in my heart, and I don't think anything can fill it. Grief involves loss. Tears can be holy. Jesus weeps. For the longest time, I, I've been so callous to this world, I've kind of built up this impenetrable scheme, like I'm rather callous. I feel numb a lot. And it's just a defensive mechanism is what I'm figuring. I figure if I become callous and detached enough, then I'll never become hurt. But at the same time, I find that I'm losing my humanity. I've become so numb that I didn't cry probably for, I guess, about like six years. And then I became like a Christian, and then suddenly like something started happening in my heart. I think God was working. You know, rather, we need to let the tears flow. We need to be vulnerable. And one of the things that some people say in order to kind of like, kind of stop your tears, they'll say things, and they're well-meaning. They say things like, oh, you know, death is part of life. No, it's not. No, it's not. Death is the end of life. And it should be grieved. You should cry about it. Grief reveals our neediness for a Savior. The pain of losing Sally, of losing a loved one, Losing a child is a reminder that this world is not the way it is supposed to be, but points us to the person who can heal us, who shows us the way it, uh, it will be one day. So we grieve together, grace and peace. We cry together. We weep together. We're angry together. We cry out together. We can't ignore this. 
express your hurts out loud to one another, to your pillows at night, and if you struggle, even to the point of being at your wit's end, we have people that can talk to you about it who've been there as well. Please, please talk about it. We need to destigmatize these feelings of darkness and of brokenness like this. But now the psalmist turns and points to the solution when he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God, your salvation. We all have a solution for the problems of this world, do we not? We all think we can answer these questions. We all have something we're hoping in to alleviate the stress and the burden of the darkness. For some, we want the answers to answer. You know, we want God to answer us why. But we see in the Bible, God may not give you the answers to why any of this happened, but He will present you with Himself. Job, in all his misery, did not get an answer to why, but God showed up. The problem for our pain is not a program. The answer and hope for our pain is, is only a person, Jesus Christ. We do, we do that by speaking the truth to ourselves, and we apply that person into our wounds. We rub it in like a balm. We do it by applying these words of hope to our wounds. Whereas what one preacher, as he puts it, we rub hope into death. And that's what he's teaching us to do. We speak back to the lies in our head. Notice the voice in his head and the response of hope. This is song. And so he's trying to tell you, you have this inner voice too. You people, you say this to yourselves as well. We shout out to God, God, why have you forgotten me? We say our adversaries taunt me. And they say, where is your God? He doesn't notice you. He doesn't love you. You're not good enough. You're not worthwhile. You're not loved. That inner voice rings in our ears. That every one of our performances isn't enough. It'll never add up to anything. You didn't say the right words. You didn't do the right thing. And our pillows condemn us. And it hurts like hell every night. He gets it. We fear letting people really know us. We cover it up with a hundred performances of a lifetime. But then we go home second-guessing even our cover-up schemes. We become exhausted running the performance treadmill trying to, salvage, trying to salvage hope for our lives through our efforts. But the good news of Christianity is this. That our acceptance from God, the standing ovation of the God of the universe who made everything in this world is based not on your performance, but based on His performance for you. Not on your work, but His work. Therefore, the security in this life and the sure footing in this life is death is the fact that on the cross we see Jesus dying for us, giving us the performance we all really need by taking our sins, our failures, and the wounds of this world into His body. 
and leaving them on public display, letting us know that they cannot overcome us because they have truly overcome Him. But He defeated it on the third day. So the psalmist tells us we're to apply hope by speaking back to ourselves. And we do this by speaking to each other. We do it by remembering Him, calling out our pain, calling out in our pain, and identifying the true hope and our true God. So first, we remember Him. God is the personal and living God. He's not an impersonal force, delving out punishments, you know, with capriciously, or just because you deserved it, because you've got bad karma. No, God shows up in history, and He met this psalmist, and He says, remember. He says, I will remember Him. And He looks back to past worship and how God had shown up in a lot of their worship songs, they would say that God shows up in ordinary places. We believe that God shows up in ordinary bread and ordinary wine. God shows up to His people at the Red Sea, and they recount those stories. He showed up in the battles at Canaan, in the return from the exile. He shows up in Jesus. God shows up on the cross. He showed up on the third day when He rose again, and He will show up again to make all things new. We remember Him, the living God, who sees you, hears you, knows you, knows your pain, and is acquainted with grief. And so we call out in our pain. He acknowledges that pain and sorrow. The psalmist knows that God can hear it. He even calls out in his doubt, God, do you even hear me? He calls it out. And he identifies it. And by calling it out, you can have agency over this doubt and this struggle. You have agency over the sorrows and the difficulties. And you can speak back to it. Jesus called out also in pain. He wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He cried out in the garden for God to notice. And he despaired even to death. But we know God hears us because for Jesus, he got what we all deserve. And Jesus, we got, Jesus, he got God's silence. See, sometimes we wonder if God even notices. Does he care? In Jesus, we start to see these stories of Jesus weeping. Jesus seeing the anxiety of people. Jesus being born. Being poor. Jesus losing friends. And ultimately, we see God losing even a child. Does He notice? Does He get our pain? Yeah. He gets it and he's acquainted with it. And then we need to identify the true salvation and the true God. Notice that the psalmist, you know, he, the, he tells the downcast soul to hope in God. Not to hope in a program, not to hope in a counselor, not in a pastor, not in a drug. Although those things can be very helpful, so don't hear what I'm not saying. But he's saying that the ultimate hope is the fact of having it in the person of Jesus, in God Himself. 
those things can help. But it's not the ultimate help that our soul needs. Our security in this world depends not on how we're feeling in the day or whether or not we did the right step. Our security in this world depends on God's judgment on us and in Jesus Christ that is righteous and good and secure and beloved. In order to know the true salvation and true God, we need to acknowledge our false saviors, the false gods that we place our hope in. Why? Because hope is not a Gnostic platitude found inside of a Hallmark greeting card. For us, hope is not even in this quid pro quo with God. If I do something for you, God, then you have to pay me back. And hope is not found in following Ten Commandments. Hope is not followed, is not found in having a romance on Tinder. The romance is not found in a promotion. Or hope is not found in scholarships so I can go to my best college. Hope is not found in paying off my student loan. Hope is not found in having the answers to the questions of why. Hope is not known, is not just knowing that sometime our tears will stop flowing. Hope is not believing that sometime we will not think about our past loved ones' faces every day. Hope is not a program. Hope is not a wish for the world to be made right. Hope is not a belief in heaven even. No, hope is in the person of Jesus Christ bringing heaven to earth in himself, securing for us and for Sally true salvation, that we may know that God forever love is in him. That nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can snatch us from his hand. That he said it is finished and the performance of a lifetime is in. That we are his children. We are his beloved. That the light and momentary affliction in this world is achieving for us a weight of eternal glory. That the last enemy death will be defeated. That he, Jesus Christ, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will make all things new. And he is coming soon. It tells us that death is not the end. And when we close our eyes and breathe our last breath, that doesn't mean we are cut off. No. It's not the end of our friends. It's not the end of our lives. It's not the end of this world because Jesus walked out of a tomb on the third day. And therefore, we can say with the Apostle Paul that we can say that this is true of Sally Pepper, our friend who is beautiful and wonderful. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, and all these things were more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord because death did not mean the end and it did not get the last word for our friend. And it doesn't get the last word for you or for me because Jesus and His love we know that all the sad things will come
Almighty God, help us to rub hope. Even when we don't get it, we don't have the answers, we feel our souls are wounded, help us to rub hope into the deep wounds we have in this world. Help us to know you are Savior deeply. And to know not even our failures nor our death can possibly stop the never ending, always and forever love of God in Christ Jesus.